Good morning and welcome to Bethel. Here am I thinking it must be somebody else's fault and the problem's in my pocket. So the illustration for us right away there this morning. Uh, so for a few weeks now, we've been living with this theme of life in all of its fullness. We've been delving into it on Sunday mornings. If you're part of a small group here at Bessel, uh, we've been picking that up uh, in their sort of weekly sessions and really just trying to camp for a while in this passage and delve into what it is that Jesus is speaking about, what he's imagining, what he's describing in life in all of its fullness. So we're going to read this passage one more time this morning as we bring that uh, series to an end. So it's John chapter 10. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you, uh, you might like to turn uh, to that passage, uh, the shepherd and his flock. I tell you the truth, the one who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen for his voice. He calls his own sheep out by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from them because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when they see the wolf coming, they abandon the sheep and run away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews again were divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father God, we thank you so much that we have the freedom to gather openly, publicly, without fear of harassment or abuse or arrest or worse. We thank you for the gift of this, your word, your words. And we thank you, God, that as we gather, as we seek to listen, that you, the author of these words, the author of life, are present to write your story, your words on our open hearts and lives. And so we come hungry 
to hear from you, hungry to know you, hungry to know more of the shepherd's voice. So would you use this time, we pray, God, to speak to us, to change our hearts, to change our minds, to change our lives, and to lead us to live and to love like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So life to the full, life in all of its fullness. Uh, We've been exploring over the past, I think, six or seven weeks now, uh, some big themes that come up in this passage, because you can't divorce that phrase from the flow of what Jesus is saying here. We've been thinking about it means to be fully known. God knows you. He knows your life inside out, and God loves you fully. You are fully loved. He calls you the beloved in Jesus. You're fully secure in that love because if he knows it all anyway, past, present, future, spoken, unspoken, and he loves you fully, you can rest. It's about the only place in this world you can rest fully secure in his love. We're promised full access to all that is the Father's through Jesus. The only authentic access to God is Jesus. We're promised full protection. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. And then last week, we were thinking about the fact that that doesn't just apply to us and little me in my little corner shining my little light. We are part of something so much bigger, and we're fully united uh, with the flock that Jesus is building. And I want to come to one more theme uh, as we wrap this up, because I've been thinking as we've been going through this series, as we've been going through this passage, perhaps there are things that sound a little bit beyond where you're at. Perhaps you've listened to some of it and thought, that sounds great. That might be what the other people stood around me are experiencing, but I don't know if I'm, am I fully, am I fully secure? Am I fully protected? I remember a couple of years ago, there was a, um, I want to say vicar, I hope that's okay to say, across the road, Peter Mortimer. How many people remember Peter Mortimer working at St. Mary's? Lovely guy. Uh, He got called to uh, team leader vicar, I presume I'm saying that right, uh, over in All Saints in Rabino, and he asked if I'd go there for his sort of welcome service, and I'm sure that's got welcome vicar service name, but we'll call it that for now. And so I said, yeah, no, good friends, I'd love, love to come and be part of it. So I uh, went over, uh, and he'd sent an email through, and the email had all kinds of instructions and descriptions about how to get there, where to park, and what we were going to be asked to do. I'll be honest, I clocked the date and the postcode. That's all I noticed about this email. What I didn't notice is that the email said, don't follow a sat-nav, because that will lead you somewhere, and then you'll have to walk to get to the church. So I'm merrily driving along, trying to find this church, thinking, Rubina's not a massive place, right? If there's an Anglican church in Rubina, I'm fairly sure I'm going to be able to find it. So I follow the sat-nav down the main street in Rubina, then into a side road. And at the end of that road, the sat-nav says, you have now reached your destination. And I'm looking around at these houses, thinking, I know churches come in all shapes and sizes, but I'm pretty sure an Anglican church usually stands out a little bit. And I realized that there was this little sort of path you had to walk down. And for a brief moment, I'm sure you've had these moments as well in your life, uh, I got a little bit cross with God. I said, God, you knew I had to be here for this thing today. You could have told me not to drive down this road. You could have parted the sea for Moses. You could have moved a little stream uh, for me. But anyway, eventually I managed to work out how to get there. But it was this really awkward moment of being able to see it and know where it was and know that I needed to get there, but I couldn't physically work out how to get there. 
And sometimes we read these things that Jesus says, that through him we can know the Father like he knows the Father. And it can seem like we can see it, we can understand it, but from where we are, to step into that feels like there is a huge gap. Maybe you've had that experience of your Christian life, of hearing others share moments and stories and encounters and encouragement, and you've thought, I can see it. I can understand why that would be powerful and helpful and wonderful for you, but the gap from where I am to there seems huge. Jesus promises us life in all of its fullness. Life lived in the full awareness of his presence and his passion and his guidance. And if we're really honest, the gap between where we feel and where that lies can sometimes feel really huge. Do you know what I'm talking about? It reminds me of a conversation I had with a guy the day after we opened the church for a silent reflection after the Queen died. We had a great conversation on the door. He said, I, I wish I could believe. I wish I could believe what, what you believe. And we had this great conversation around the Lord calling us to seek him. And when we seek him with all our heart, he will be found by us. But sometimes we, we stay on the other side of that. We stay on the, the wishing side and not the seeking side, the seeking but never finding side. I heard a, a story a couple of weeks back as I was preparing for this series of a woman, a great teacher, who'd been to Israel recently. And she said, if you go to Jerusalem, there are certain gates that are used for different purposes. And one of the gates is called the Sheep Gate, which is where the sheep go in. Very good, well done. It's not a difficult question, I know, but well done. Uh, and so she said, we were sat by the sheep gate for a while. And she said, we watched as a shepherd walked in. And true to form, true to, to Jesus' words, the shepherd went first and was calling the sheep constantly. And the sheep were walking behind him into the city. And as he was talking, they were looking at these sheep. And apparently, these sheep were amazing. They were clean and strong and pure and white and fluffy. Everything that you want a sheep to be. You know, if you type sheep into Google, you want a sheep to look like it. This is what this flock of sheep looked like, good sheep. And she said what was interesting was that all she could hear around her was people saying, wow, good shepherd, good shepherd. And then she said later on her trip, I think it was the next day or so, they were in a similar spot, and there was another flock of sheep walking in, and these looked hungry and kind of dirty and not, not well looked after. And they, they weren't always following where the shepherd was going. They, they, didn't, they hadn't been trained well and all those kind of things. And she said, again, you could hear the murmur around the place where she was sat. Bad shepherd. Bad shepherd. And she stopped and she said, do we not realize that people are judging the shepherd by the sheep? People are looking at us and judging who we're following, judging Jesus by what they're seeing in us. See, sometimes the gap between where I am and where I want to be isn't always a, a selfish thing. I yearn to be somewhere closer because this world needs to see Jesus. The world needs to know there is a leader, there is a savior, there is a hope that is pure and real and worth following. But there's a gap between where I am 
and where he wants me to be and even where I want to be. If you've lived with that gap for any season, any sense of time in your life, I want to offer us today a key to bridging that gap. Jesus once said to uh, people, didn't he, as he strolled along the shores of Galilee, you follow me. You leave this life that you've known, this world that you've lived in, uh, and come and follow me. Follow my teaching, follow my direction, follow my example. You come and live with me. And if you stop and think about that, that is entirely unique. That actually, if you wanted to sit Jesus down and say, can you prove the claims that you're making are true? He would say, follow me, walk with me, try it in your life. Is it more blessed to give than receive? Well, try it. Follow me and you'll see for yourself. Uh, is it uh, true, some of these things that you're saying? Well, well, try it out. Walk with me. Follow me. Jesus calls us, doesn't he, to, to follow him, which is why in our small groups, as we've been reading this passage, the questions we've been asking are slightly different to the ones we've asked before. We've been asking, is there a command to follow or an example to follow? So Jesus didn't come just to talk about life in all of his fullness. Somehow, when we look at Jesus, we're seeing life as it's meant to be lived. We're seeing life in the kingdom. We're seeing life with the Father, intimacy with the Father, power through the Spirit being ministered to people who need help and healing, love for every single person. This is life as it was meant to be lived. And we're seeing that example that we're meant to be following. So as Jesus talks here about life in all of its fullness, there's something here that we've come up against time and time again, mentioned in other ways, but I want us to see this morning as an example for us to follow. I'd love to read these words for you from, John chapter, uh, from 1 John, the same John who knew Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who wrote his experiences of Jesus here, writes a letter to the church, and here he makes it really plain and clear for us. Uh, if anyone obeys his word... God's love is truly made complete in them. You know, in our day, we tend to separate notions of love and obedience, don't we? But here they are melded, molded together. Obedience, love, loving obedience and obedient love. If anyone obeys his word, God's love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, or live, sorry, as Jesus did. Jesus was serious when he said, follow me, which makes these words all the more challenging today. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep lays down his life for the sheep. To that list of what it means to live in life in all of its fullness, we need to add one more, and that is to be fully surrendered. Fully surrendered. The word that Jesus is using here to talk about life in all of its fullness uh, is an uh, old Greek word that means uh, psyche, it's where we get our word psychology from. It refers to the inner life of a person, both the vital living breath of a person. So every time you breathe in, that's psyche. But also the, where the word we get soul from, the real, true, core person. Jesus says, I, I lay down my breath, my actual very self, 
fall with the sheep. We often think, don't we, about Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed, but we fail to comprehend this. He was laying down himself. He was giving himself for the sheep. We can't separate the two, can we? Life in all of its fullness, and in the same passage, that same word is used again, a life in all of its fullness is a life laid down. Not in order to access life in all of its fullness, but laid down for others. I lay down my life for the sheep. There's this incredible thing that happens when Jesus is taken to the cross. He's already endured uh, a night of horrendous, horrific, unimaginable torture. uh, And is then forced to carry his crossbeam to uh, Golgotha, the place of the skull. And he's nailed there hands, feet lifted uh, up above the earth, hovering between heaven and earth, crying out for us, interceding for us from the cross. Father, forgive them. Somehow this moment of brutality is a sacrifice that wins us forgiveness. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he breathed his last. There's plenty of things that we can control, but without access to our hands, none of us in a human sense naturally can control when we take our last breath. The picture is that of being offered to God. His life was not taken from him. It was, it was offered to God. So much so that the Roman centurions, when they wanted to make sure that those who'd been crucified were dead before the, the Sabbath celebration, the Sabbath day, came to Jesus and realized they didn't need to break his bones. And they were surprised at that because Jesus had decided the moment. He had offered his life to God, laid down his life. That's why he says here, no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. Now, just by the way here, this is kind of an aside to to the theme that we're looking at this morning. I don't know if this has ever struck you. That is a real strange claim to make. I'm going to pin my whole message, my whole movement, my whole ministry on whether or not I come back from the dead. I mean, if you can't do that... That's a real strange claim to make. You could have pinned it on anything. And the words that he uses here, it's not I will live on in the example or the words or the hearts and minds of my followers. I have authority to take up my breath myself again, receive that command from my Father. But I want to think about these words. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I've been thinking about this thing of being fully surrendered to God of entering in fully to his words, his promises, his hope, his life in all of its fullness. And these words have have got me thinking about surrender and the difference between an active surrender and a passive surrender. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. The hope of Jesus, the grace, the forgiveness that is won for us at the cross is not some afterthought. It's not something that happened just because it could now. It was a deliberate act, an active surrender. It's possible, isn't it, to live a kind of Christian life that is sort of quite passive when it comes to this stuff. If God wants something from me, he can take it. 
If God wants to use me, he can use me. If God wants to speak to me, he can speak to me. We kind of journey through life kind of hoping that we're going to grow spiritually by accident, that somehow along the way, change and transformation and hope and all those kind of things are just going to happen. And we can journey through life with what we could call a sort of a, a toxic passivity. God, if you want to use me, use me. If you want this day to be significant, if, if you want some finances, if you want some of my gifting, if you want some of my time, well, take it. But that's different, isn't it, from active surrender. God, this day is yours. All that you've given me is, is yours. Sometimes we can use the prayer, can't we? God, what is, what is the purpose for my life? And I don't think that's a bad prayer. I don't think it's a bad question. But we can use that to hide from the question, God, what do you want me to do in the next five minutes? To live in a place of, of active surrender. No one takes it. I lay it down of my own accord. That um, welcome the vicar service that I went to, um, as part of that service, there were a series of prayers that were used, and one of them kind of caught me short. Uh, we were reading this prayer together in response to what, what Peter was, was praying. Uh, and some of the words were, uh, God, use me as you will. Set me aside or set me to work. And it had never occurred to me before that actually there might be seasons where God will not use your gifting or your time or whatever it is. And to act actively stand there and pray, God, if that means setting me aside, then set me aside. Because what is important is your kingdom, not mine. Your will, not mine. I found it hugely challenging to pray those words. Active surrender. And I wonder in your life, where there are those things that you know you need to do. Some of us have got a person that we know we need to forgive. Some of us have a thing that we know we need to resolve. Others of us know that if we're going to represent Jesus in the workplace or in the family or in the neighborhood that we live, that's going to mean change, and change is always hard and difficult and, and costly, and we know it's there, but we're not actively surrendering to it. Already this morning, I imagine as we're listening to God's Word today, you're already thinking, you're already personalizing the situations where you know there's something to be done, but it is hard. Because where you are is known, and at least if it's known, uh, it, it's less scary. I love Paul's words to the church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so this is not to get mercy from God. This is in view, this is because God has been merciful to you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. If Paul heard us talking about faith and said it's just a private interior feeling, he would laugh at us. Offer your bodies, he says, as a living sacrifice. And as somebody has said once brilliantly, the trouble with a living sacrifice is that it keeps telling to crawl off the altar. I surrender and then I take back. I long and then I get distracted. I trust but I stress. I worry but I pray. And we live in between these two poles, don't we? Offer as a living, an ongoing, a growing, an intimate, an organic sacrifice. 
Now, some of you may be thinking this morning, but we shouldn't have to do any sense of sacrifice. Jesus has, has paid it all, and that is true. In terms of our relationship with God, our sin and our shame has been dealt with at the cross because of his grace. But as somebody said brilliantly, and I keep coming back to this in my own thinking, that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Remember that old song we used to sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. So when you hear these words, uh, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, what what do you imagine when it comes to this word living? What is it that is being offered? Uh, I love the message translations version of, of this verse. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And I love the little description that's been inserted there. Not your religious life, not your Sunday best life. Sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Difference, isn't there, between being aware that God is with us in the course of our day and saying, God, today is an offering to you. This piece of work that I'm doing, it might be challenging, it might be tricky, it might be awkward, but I want to do it somehow for you. I want to offer it to you so that your gifting, your glory, your grace can be seen. Uh, The way in which I I parent and the way in which I raise my children or I look after my grandchildren, I want to place it before you, God, as an offering. I want to do it as if I'm doing it for you, an active surrender, a daily surrender to God. There was a guy that was used very, very powerfully um, by God, a guy called D.L. Moody. It's a great name for a preacher, Moody. Uh, And uh, he was holding a series of revival meetings, and at the the end of one of these, uh, there was a chance for people to share testimonies. Uh, And in the the course of a whole bunch of testimonies, one young guy gets up uh, and says, do you know, I'm not quite sure, but I am going to trust, and I am going to obey. We need more testimonies like that, don't we? You know, I love the testimonies that come out the other side of a struggle or an encounter. They're always great and inspiring and uh, encouraging and helpful, but I love the testimony in the middle, in the gap. I'm not quite sure, but I am going to trust, and I am going to obey. One of Moody's friends was there. Uh, I'd love him to have a funny name as well, but he doesn't. It's just called Samuels. Uh, and he was a hymn writer, and he wrote down this phrase, I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. And that became the song, Trust and Obey. I don't know if you've sung that song. It, it's deeply challenging. It's one of those tunes that's really catchy, written, melody written by Sankey, and so you go out humming it to yourself. It's not a song you can whistle on the bus. It's a deeply challenging song. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Active surrender. That's the challenge that lies before me, that lies before you. From the sublime... The ridiculous, how many people are watching 
I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. How many people took a gasp when a certain politician arrived in the jungle? If you didn't, you were one of the only ones in the country that could not believe that a young Matthew Hancock was appearing on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And we're fascinated to watch the interactions because we all wonder, what would I say to him if I met him? How would I respond to him if I met him? Because we know there's things that we would want to say and then there's the question, and what would Jesus do? Who would Jesus be in the jungle? And the challenge to get from where I am to what Jesus would do lies in this question of active surrender. How much do I actually want to be like Jesus? How much do you actually want to be like Jesus. Because the invitation was always, follow me. Follow me. I want to end with this and then we'll come to pray. The great C.S. Lewis talks about uh, passive surrender a lot in, in his writings. And one of the things that he talks about is that there are forced choices in life. Uh, that if I do not choose to look after my body, if I eat badly, drink badly, never exercise, my body will make choices for me. Forced choices. He talks in one passage about surrender. He says, basically, there's two kind of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. Your way, God. Your life, your day, your choices, your words. And those to whom God will say, all right then, have it your way. The only way to life in all of its fullness, as paradoxical as it sounds, is a laid down life. A life laid down at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray together for just a moment.